Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Youth-Centered Podcast. Rick Gorman here. I want to thank everybody for the great feedback we got on the podcast we did with Franklin School Principal Joe Clark last week. Uh, And if you listened to it, we were all excited about going back to school Monday, January 4th. That did not take place. The school department decided to go remote at least for another week so my hope is by the time this comes out that the plan will be to go back to school uh, with the hybrid methods but again thank you for the great feedback and obviously you can tell we got a an amazing uh, principal over at the franklin school joe clark so today our second podcast in the year 2021 i have a very special young man uh tommy cox who a lot of people in town know tommy's coming on today to kind of talk about his life story and obviously something that's happened to him uh and how it has changed his life and all of the different resiliencies and all of the hard and mental and physical toughness he has shown uh, because of that. And I'm not going to talk too much about that. I'm going to have Tommy tell his own story. But today, I'm very happy to have the very popular Tommy Cox on our podcast. Tommy, thanks for coming on the Youth Centered Podcast. Thank you for having me, Rick. I'm very excited. And Tommy, we usually start off the podcast by not me giving a bio, but you know, just hearing from you yourself. And again, as I said, many, many people in town know you, whether it's through youth sports, uh, school, uh, here at the Youth Center, which obviously we are so pumped that you're working for us now here at the Youth Center. So for people that may not know much about Tommy Cox, who is Tommy Cox? Yeah, so for just a brief bio, um, like you said, I'm Tommy Cox. I'm 18 years old, senior at the North Denver High School. Uh, very involved in sports. I play lacrosse, football, and I wrestle. Um, outside of sports, I like to help people with disabilities. I'm involved with a few charities. I'm on um, a peer counseling board for Spalding Rehab Center, and I'm also very involved with a program called Understanding Our Differences, which is pretty new. But other than that, I'd, I'd say I'm just a normal kid. I have fun. I live my life. I try not to let anything stop me. Absolutely. And you show that every day here. So as I said, we, we're lucky to have you working. You're, you're one of the few people, obviously, that is starting to work during a global pandemic for us. Um, how's it been working here this past fall? Now we're in our winter session. You're back with us again. How do you like the job? So far, I love it. Um, to be honest, when I first started, I didn't know what to expect. I just, like any normal person would, I took it as a job. But what I didn't take into account for was how I'd leave the building feeling every time I work. I leave with a feeling knowing that at least I made a little difference for someone, whether it's something as small as having a conversation with them or making their day by being on their team if we play a game. So I never took into account when I took the job just that you know good feeling you have when you get in your car and go home, just knowing that you did make a difference for someone. And you definitely do. You, you do a number of different activities. I've seen you at street hockey. I've seen you in the gym with some of our open gym activities. I've seen you out with flag football, ultimate frisbee and all the different things that we do there. And uh, kids all love you. You have a great attitude. And uh, obviously, I appreciate what you're doing. And I like how you said that. Uh, I think people who work here know that's more than a job. I know people want to get you know a part-time wage. They want to work a few hours. But for most of the kids, they'd say exactly like Tommy just said, that it's what they actually get out of it, too. And obviously, you are one of our mass superheroes. Uh, what we're pulling off in a global pandemic, both in the summer, the fall, and now in the winter, is actually amazing. Uh, we have not had one stoppage due to COVID-19 issues, and we're going to continue to plug around one day at a time. And again, I thank you for your service on that. Tom, you grew up your entire life here in North Andover, uh, and we're going to get into your middle school years. What was it like when you first started growing up here, elementary school? And, and tell us a little bit about you know life in North Andover for you as a young kid. So like any normal kid, sports as a kid was the only thing I knew. 
I come from a family with three brothers and one sister, three brothers including me. So from sunup to sundown, I'd be playing sports with them. Uh, neighborhood, we'd have tournaments, we'd play. Literally until it was pitch black, we couldn't see the ball. So that was definitely a big part of my childhood sports. Um, we'd also vacation a lot. I spent a lot of my time in New Hampshire. Um, when I was little, we got into ATVing, snowmobiling up there. And eventually we got a lake house up there and we've had a blast every summer there. So other than that, I'd say I've had a, just a normal childhood. Um, I'd say sports is definitely one of the main things of it. And I've had a great family growing up, great group of friends. So Absolutely. And you spent a lot of your time, obviously, during the during the school year here. You spent a lot of time in the summer and weekends up at your place up north, which is great. Um, so as a as you going as a late elementary school kid getting ready for middle school, um, your life kind of changed. And uh, uh, most people who know Tommy know Tommy lost his leg. And uh, I'm going to let you tell our listeners a little bit about um, the accident, how it happened, and we're going to get into obviously much more of just the whole comeback story for you and, and all that like. So can you take us a little bit through with, with whatever you're comfortable talking about? Yeah, of course. So I'll take us back to summer of 2013, which was when we first bought our house. So like anyone would, uh, we were there every second we could be every weekend. And, you know, Sunday night we'd hate going home, but we had to because we had stuff to do. So fast forward to the start of the school year. September 2013, we had, I think it was two days of school. And so at this point, we'd wrapped everything up, winterized the house. But I think it was Memorial Day came up, so we had a two or three day break. So we decided, you know what, let's just go up for one last hoorah. You know, stuff might be closed, but at least we can go up and try. So fast forward to September 5th, 2013, I unfortunately suffered a devastating boat accident to both my legs. Um, I was stabilized by the medical team, and then they took me in a helicopter over to Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center. Um, I'd go on to spend about three months of my life there just recovering. Uh, one of the toughest parts was definitely being so far from home. You know, a three-hour drive, when you, th when you take into account that I have three siblings who are as much work as I am, and that says a lot. Um, so as far as them having to do stuff, we were kind of worried on how we'd handle that. But the time was great in stepping in and, you know, doing things such as small as taking my, taking my brothers to practice or, you know, delivering meals when my parents couldn't be there. But back to Dartmouth, I spent three months there, and it was a long road, but, um, you know, the people there were great. So, it, you know, I remember when we got the devastating news hearing about this with you, and, um, you know, I forgot that actually your first three months, it wasn't like you were at the Lawrence General or even Mass General. Uh, you were basically up in New Hampshire, and that was obviously tough for your family getting back and forth. So you were there for three months. What was the three months like, um, you know, if you don't mind talking a little bit, when you realized that you needed to lose your leg? Um, you know, how were you maybe from a mentally standpoint at that? And again, you're a young kid at that point. What, what you're feeling? So I remember when I first woke up, it was the first week I was intubated, which means you have a tube down your throat. So you have all these thoughts, but you can't express how you feel. All you can do is I remember just push like a button for help and can't really say anything. I think I'd try to like type something out, but my hands were too numb that I couldn't do anything. So that first couple weeks, I was bit, like completely bedridden. You know, I couldn't move at all. Um, eventually they took the tube out and I could talk a little bit. But um, those first few months, mentally was a lot, you know, crying basically every day, you know, asking why me, why me, why me, you know. Ten-year-old kid, I know I wasn't the easiest kid growing up, but I, in my mind, I did nothing wrong. And, you know, that was really hard for me to take as a kid, but eventually, you know, I turned it into taking into the perspective that, you know, maybe this was for a reason. And that was hard for me, and it took a lot of convincing for my parents, but it was a lot of, you know, reassurance that, you know, everything's going to be okay, you just have to believe. And I think one of the main things for me was just the fact that I was even alive at that point. Because we had doctors come in and 
you know, they were nice about it, but they expressed just their disbelief. They're like, I don't want to say you shouldn't be alive, but it was kind of like that. And they kind of hinted at that. So eventually I took that into perspective where, you know what, you're just lucky to be here. You know, you can't control anything. Try to keep a smile on your face, and that's really all you can do. I mean, it's pretty powerful for you. To, I mean, you're only 10 years old when this happens. Take me through a little bit. This three months, what was the reason you were there for three months? Um, it's just because how as bad as – I was just in really bad shape. You know, I can't stress that enough because as bad as my left leg was, my right leg was really bad too. Uh, my left leg was all nerve damage, and my right leg was bone damage. So as much as they were trying – when they were trying to save my left leg, they were also trying to save my right leg. And um, those three months, every other day I had surgery, except for the weekends. Um, they weren't all major surgeries for the most part, but they couldn't do bandage cleanups while I was awake just because of how painful it was and excruciating. So every other day I was in surgery. Luckily, they weren't all major surgeries, but it was just all reconstruction. Um, I had like rods in my knee. I had them in my ankle. I was missing parts of my bone. So it was just constant reconstruction, constant working on me. And you, you kind of get into a routine. You know, you kind of make fun out of it, like in the – like pre-op room you know you get to know the people you form funny relationships not funny relationships but sure they, they get to know you yeah, and you feel and, you know, more you don't want to be there but you find out that how good of people they are and you know they just want to help you but um just like i said it's just i was in such bad shape that they were just constantly constantly working and those first those first weeks it was all about just keeping me alive so you know i had tubes coming out of me everywhere like tubes down my throat Machines hooked up everywhere. How many how many surgeries did you have during that period of I time? I think it's between twenty five and thirty around there. Wow, almost thirty surgeries. Yeah. Wow. Tell me a little bit about the people at Dartmouth Hitchcock. You be, they became family to you to a certain degree because um, you were there for three months. Uh, what do you have to say to those doctors, nurses, all all the all the people that actually helped you during that period of time? Yeah, so they've kind of become my favorite people, like I've ever met. They were just such kind hearted people, and you could tell that. You know, they formed a relationship with me instantly. And to this day, I'm still, like, in contact with them. We talk to them. Every time I go to visit, we're like, oh, where's Nurse Katie? Where's Nurse Laura? All of them. And um, I remember one of the things, since I was little, I still had a big imagination, was um, Nurse Laura, we called her. Well, that was her name, obviously. But hmm. I had a teddy bear, and she'd all a big imagination. You know, it meant a lot to me. And she'd always dress it up in surgery gear for me. So it was just, like, little, like, acts like that that meant the world to me at the time. That's awesome. Yeah. So you get discharged three months later. What does that mean, though? You, you get discharged to go back home, but obviously lots of different services have to go in place. Take, take me from when you were actually discharged so to come I, back yeah, to North Yeah, so when I was discharged, I still was nowhere close to independent. I'd been sitting in a bed with my legs locked, or my leg locked straight for three months now, so I couldn't move my leg. I couldn't really – I could move my arms fine, but I was just in such bad shape that if they were to send me home, it would have just been a nightmare. You know, we would have had to have a nurse moving fully, so we decided it's not worth it. So they decided to send me to Spalding Rehab Center, brand new place, has a great reputation. You know, I was excited. I wanted to go home, but I heard everything. I heard great um, things about it. Um, what happened right before my accident was the Boston Marathon bombing. And right. all those people that came to see me when I got to Spalding, and that's kind of what gave me the good perception of it. But uh, my recovery there wasn't how I wanted to go at first. Um, so one week into therapy, all we were doing in the first week of therapy was literally like stretching my leg, just getting me to move it, you know, because I couldn't move my foot. I had to just work on picking it up, just stuff like that. And my leg was still locked straight. So, you know, the thought of standing or walking was um, out of the picture. So the first week into it, I was with this one lady and she was literally bending my leg and there was just a pop. And, you know, I instantly knew it was broken, but everyone was like, how could it? You know, you can't break a leg with your two hands. But so we found out later that it had popped. They had to send me back all the way to Dartmouth. And just like that, we were back to square one. Wow. 
pretty frustrating at yeah. that point in time. Take me through the rest of it. So did you go back to Spalding after that point? Um, so after I broke it, I think they sent me home just because there was nothing we could do in rehab. You right. know, broken legs isn't an easy recovery. So they just sent me home, and I'll never forget that feeling of just mentally. You know, obviously it hurt, but mentally it was just a huge hit on me because it made it hard to believe a recovery. You know, how could I see myself walking, running, even just, you know, living a normal life when I broke my leg from someone stretching it? Sure. So mentally I kind of – I felt broken mentally and they sent me home and it, I don't want to say it was bittersweet, but I always pictured going home would be happy, you know, look at Tommy, he's doing great. But we were, when they sent me home, I was in worse shape than I was when they sent me to Spalding. And you were at an age that you were finishing up elementary school and starting middle school, which is obviously tough in itself. Uh, how was the whole academic piece? Were you tutored during that period yeah. of time? Um, I did a lot of work with my mom. Luckily, she's really smart. Um, I hated it. I'd do as little as I could and try to take advantage of it and be, oh, I'm sore. I don't want to do it today. But, um, yeah, I was tutored. I had one of my fourth grade teachers, Miss Frackleton. Once I was home, she came to visit me. Um, but I did pretty good with keeping up with my work. Um, you know, going back to school, when I did go back to school, was obviously tough. But I kind of almost, almost instantly fit back into the school system just because, you know, I'd just been working in the hospital because I wasn't really doing anything other than just sitting there watching TV. How tough was this on your family, your parents, your brother and sister, as well as your friends who to this day love Tommy Cox incredibly? How tough was it on all of them too? Uh, it was really tough. I honestly think it was tougher on them than me. Just because, you know, thinking back at it where when in three months I spent at Dartmouth, my three little siblings basically went three months without parents because they'd come to visit me on the weekends, but they have a life to live too. You know, they're going to school, they're playing sports. So that's when my aunt actually came over from – she, I think she was, they move all around, but I think she was living in Texas at the time. She flew in, stayed with them. So I can't even imagine how hard that must have been on them, especially only being able to see their brother on the weekends who literally like weeks ago was, you know, playing in the front yard with them. So I think that was definitely very tough on them. And especially my parents, you know, I still young, I can't even begin to imagine it, but just the feeling of seeing your son in that kind of condition. So I almost find it lucky that it was me, not them, because I just, I don't know how I would cope with that part of them. Some really great perspective you have there. So tell me, you know, once once we are getting home, we're working on the rehab. Uh, take me through, you know, obviously the pain of, you know, getting back into a situation where you ended up getting your artificial leg. and But, you know, it, you, know you had tons of services that needed to be due to teach you how to basically walk again. And then, you know, literally when you have an artificial leg, that's a whole new experience too. Take me through that part of everything. Okay. So um, first to get the artificial leg, they had to have me stand for five minutes on my own, which seemed impossible at the time. Slowly but surely we got there. I remember looking back at the pictures, you can see in the picture, there's literally like six people holding me up. And it was just a nightmare because if I put too much weight on my leg, you know, I'd scream and it was just excruciating. But there was also that mental block in my head that, you know, I didn't feel sturdy. I felt like my leg was going to break again. But so fast forward through a lot of hard work, we got to the point where I could stand. And so when we went to the leg place, it's called Next Step Prosthetics, um, they were a little unsure just because of how bad a shape my leg was in. They, they didn't say we couldn't, but they said, you know, there's a chance, you know, we go through with it and it might not work. And what you got to think about, it's just really expensive to get legs made nowadays. So, you know, there was just, it would kind of put a hole in my heart when they said, you know, we're not sure if we can even get you fit with a leg. But, you know, we decided, you know, let's go through with it, you know, at least try. I'd rather try and know it didn't work than not try and live with that. So luckily we, we went through with the process and it was comfortable enough, you know, it's never feels natural to get a leg fit for you. You're not just like, okay, I have a leg. There was still a lot of stuff to be done. So I got fit for the leg, and like I said, it went better than we thought it would. 
And almost instantly, that's when I knew that, you know, I think I'm going to make a recovery just from that alone. And so once I did get the leg, they sent me, we went back to Spalding for three weeks. And that, I wasn't too excited about that for a couple of reasons. One, I still wasn't happy that I broke my leg there. You know, it was hard for me to trust them, which sure it wasn't their fault, but it's always in the back of your mind. It's their fault, but it obviously wasn't. But also one of the harder things was saying goodbye to North Andover three weeks again. You know, I just gotten back into somewhat of a normal routine going to school. And then again, I'm just saying bye, bye to all school and all that. So then we get there, um, and then we make a. I make I make an amazing recovery there. Uh, we're working on walking. Um, what else? Oh, we did stuff like up and down stairs. Um, I still hadn't made near close to a full recovery. No, I was still work, walking with a walker, but they had all this great technology where we could ease into it. So after three weeks, I was in decent enough shape to be sent home. And then from there, we kind of did the rest of the rehabbing at home. Right. Um, we tried outpatient places, which is just when you go for like two hours a day and come home. Yep. <coughs> and um, honestly, I didn't really like it there. I didn't like the way they treated me. I kind of they saw me as more of a liability, which I kind of was when you look at my uh, my medical report. You know, breaking my leg in therapy, and they weren't nearly like experienced as Spalding, so they kind of I don't want to say they babied me, but I went there. You know, I was motivated. I wanted to get to work, and they were taking it slow. And there was this one place I'd show up on like two crutches to work on walking with crutches instead, and I'd be sent back with my walker. And so, you know, we decided kind of just a waste of time and we just do the rest on our own. Yeah. I mean, I saw you, this is when I started to see you actually started to come to the youth center as a middle school kid. And uh, what I loved about, you know, and we, I didn't really know you at that point. I only knew more of the story, knew your family a bit. Um, and obviously you came in and, you know, we were going to be willing to do whatever. You I mean, you know how we, we don't let kids take the elevator, right? But yeah. Tommy Cox was going to take the elevator. Uh, there's no way we weren't going to. But what I loved about you is you were just resilient that you didn't want to be treated differently. You wanted to hang out with your friends and do stuff that everybody did at the youth center. And, and that was probably my first um, getting to know you, but also me seeing like how special of a young man you are and how determined you were. So during that period of time, you keep using, I was motivated, I was motivated. What motivated you to move forward? What, 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 was it a number of things? Was it anything in particular? Uh, I'd definitely say there's a lot of things built up. One of my favorite things was proving people wrong. Just because so many times, like I've proven doctors wrong just in a day span. Like one of the things was, this is going way back, but I wasn't even supposed to make it out of like the operating room. One of the doctors said that my parents and they kind of we called him dr doom because he had nothing but bad news <laughs> but so i pulled through and that was just like the first instance of me proving people wrong and then you know i had doctors say stuff like oh i'm not sure if this will heal you know next day it magically heals and they'll be like oh you know we're not sure if he'll ever be able to walk again but then i think think back to that and it's like look at me now and uh one of my stories that really motivated me was back at um spalding the outpatient um there was this one lady i really didn't like her i she's just kind of like a down person like a downer i don't know how to describe it but um sure so i came i told her my goal which at the time when i went there i was on one crutch and i think seven months from then was going to be the lacrosse season and i said i want to play lacrosse by then and she said oh honey you know you'll be lucky if you could walk on one crutch by then and that was actually the last day we went and then fast forward three months later from when we quit there i'm walking on my own perfectly fine and then fast forward to those six months i'm playing lacrosse like i told her so just examples of that of proving people wrong which motivated me 
And it seems like that still does to this day is you, you're proving people wrong yeah. and everything else. So, you know, as you, as you get, got a little bit older, and I've seen you obviously through middle school and now all through high school, um, what's the road been like the last six years or so in terms of who you are now and how confident you are with, you know, obviously living and, and really living with, you know, with one leg, but um, not letting anything stop you. I mean, I... Uh, I was always impressed with the lacrosse, the football, uh, even the stuff you do here, Tommy. There's nothing that you, and I don't even dare say, oh, don't let Tom, you know, maybe Tommy can't do that. I mean, I, I'll let Tommy tell me he can't do something, uh, you know, because you want, you pretty much want to do everything. So how has been, you know, where are you at mentally now? Obviously, it's seven years, almost eight years since this happened or so. Um, how are you feeling now? Uh, I feel good about it. I mean, it's been the last couple of years I've been fully recovered. It's just been a lot of reflection on it. I don't want to say you become thankful, but you kind of look back at it and it becomes a learning experience. Just think about how much like mentally you grew, especially like being put in the position I was in. Just, you know, you see a lot of stuff and stuff you don't want to see, but it teaches you a lot about yourself and other people. So I'm definitely, I'm happy to where I am. You know, I'd obviously, if I could go back and change it, I would. Actually, sure. I don't know if I would. Really? That's a really tough question. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I'd make it a little more pleasant, you know. Right. a little more child friendly but no i think i definitely keep the experience just because of how much you learn from it it's just i can't even stress it. it's like you learn this certain knowledge that i can't explain but yes. um just i've kind of made it my thing to live my life as normally as i can and my biggest thing when i first got out of the hospital is doing everything i did before and looking back there's not anything that i haven't done um as far even going back to the lake house you know that next summer we were back at the lake house i was swimming off the boat tubing that was a lot. That was really hard. You know, the first time going back on the boat, I was nervous. Yeah, kind of broke down. But you know, once you got past it, I realized there's really nothing to be afraid of. You know, right? Things happen in the world. You can't just be afraid of it. You can't. And I've also learned through the years that you can't just outrun your problems. That you just got to face it head on. What do you mean by that? Um, I just I've learned that when I put off my problems, like my fears, my anxieties, because you know, growing up with one leg, you get I got a lot of unhealthy anxiety. You know. Some of them would be like, can I wear pants? Would people make fun of me? And you just right. got to face it. And one of my biggest ones was playing football. I was terrified to play football, especially in eighth grade. You know, that was the select team year, you know. What would, like, what would my peers think of me when they see me with one leg? You know, would they laugh at me? What if I fell in practice? Just all of that until you get to that first day and you realize, you know what? Like, this is just football. I'm having fun with everybody else. So that literally, the, like, the first time I stepped on that field, like, all my fear was gone. And I felt like a, just a kid playing sport again. So I've, like, that's kind of what I, an example I mean by you can't run from your problems. Because if it wasn't from the help of my parents, I probably would have just curled up into a ball and you know, cried myself saying, I can't do that, I can't do this. So if you, my biggest thing is like, you have to at least try. That's all you can really do. And it's better to try and fail than to not try and look back and say, wow, I wish I did that. Incredible perspective, Tommy. Tommy, take me through your, uh, your senior at the high school now. We talked about, um, you know, obviously you're working here. Uh, your hope is that, and everybody's hope is that football will take place in fall too. Um, so we will gladfully let you go when football two starts, uh, so you can play that. What's what's your senior like been year been like? We talk a lot about it's like a year like any other, right? It's a, you know, you're a senior. I mean, everyone feels bad for the class of 2020, and I did too. But I think one people most people forget that the class of 2020 had the most normal year of any every year up until March 13th and then they obviously lost the spring and for seniors they lost their graduation and prom which I do feel really bad whatever but the class of 2021 lost their entire junior spring and at this point in time they've not had a 
senior year, a normal senior year. And, you know, you and I and others here, we talk about, you know, I, I am optimistic that you'll have graduation this year. You'll have a prom, senior activities or whatever. But what's it been like for you? And again, I think you're such a resilient kid. You've probably handled this stuff better than a lot of people. But what has it been like being a high school senior during a global pandemic? For me, I think the biggest thing is just accepting that you have no control over anything. So, you know, what happened happened, but you also got to think it's not just North Andover, it's the whole world. And when you look at people being affected from people who've unfortunately lost people from COVID, you know, I'm just a kid and, you know, I can, I can sacrifice, you know, my senior year for someone else's health, but it definitely has been hard. You know, I'm a kid, so I want, I want to go to prom. I want to go to football games. I want to, you know, go anywhere without, you know, not having to wear a mask and all that. So I think I've tried to just keep the attitude of, you know, it's not in your control. Like you can make the best out of it. Um, you just got to appreciate the small things, you know, coming to the youth center is fun. Um, just, and it was also good just cause you know, I got to spend a lot of time with my family. Like we're all very busy and we've never, you know, these past year, we've never spent that much time together, literally in that first month. So that was definitely good. But I always just try to look on the bright side, you know, what you can look forward to and focus on things you can control rather than you can't. Absolutely. Talk to me a little bit about some of this community service stuff you've done and, and, uh, um, understanding people's differences was one of the ones that I actually first saw you doing some stuff with that. Uh, you said you've done some stuff with Spalding. Talk to me a little bit about the things that you do do and why do you do it? Um, so my biggest thing about it is, sorry, um, one of the first, one of the best things that happened to me in the hospital was I had a few like key people that I'm still like, I consider friends with to this day. They came to me, one of the kids named Matt Freitas. He lives in Weymouth, car accident, lost his leg. But he had basically made a full recovery at the time. And while I was still at Dartmouth, and this is like a three and a half hour drive from his house, he came to see me and just seeing someone like you who already been through it and just talking to them and, you know, becoming friends with them. It's probably one of the biggest things because it gets that like perspective in the back of your mind that, you know, maybe everything is going to be all right. So for me, it was always having that person that can show like, I don't want to say show you the way, but that's what I mean. So that's I just think back to how that felt for me and how important that was to my recovery, seeing other people. So that's why I've always wanted to pay it forward, especially for how much the town has done for me. I think it's the least I can do. Um, so understanding our differences is probably one of my favorite things I've done in high school. Um, what we do is they go to all the elementary schools and they do like a program where they put the kids through like what it would be like if you had one arm, like putting a coat on, like putting pants on with one leg and like a bunch of intellectual, intellectual problems. And they take you through that. And then at the end, they'll have um, someone like me give a speech and my favorite thing is just seeing how fast the kids' perspectives change. When so when you first when they first notice like a person with one leg, they're kind of, I don't want to say they're scared, but it's kind of like a normal person like kind of taken back. But after you give that speech and you kind of you tell them that I'm literally like you, there's no difference except you know physical differences don't really mean anything at the end of the day. And you see how their perspective changes from like I don't want to say fear, but it changes from fear to curiosity and like cool. And they're like I want to be your friend, you know, like I want to learn more about this. So that's definitely one of my favorite things is just being able to change someone's perspective, um, especially like in the world today. We've obviously made great progress with as far as like inclusion, but it's nowhere near perfect and there's still a lot of work to be done. So just to know that you're a part of hopefully the change is great. And um, for Spalding, like I said, the, I'm on the peer counselor board. So when they have someone like in a situation like me, I'll go talk to them. How often have you done that, Tommy? I've actually only done it once mm -hmm. um, just because they haven't had a lot of like accidents like mine. But uh, especially because COVID, they're not taking anybody. Sure. I mean, it's it's amazing the stuff that you're giving back. That let me talk to you a little bit about your friends. Like I obviously hired over the years a number of your friends. 
um, and the way they talk about you and you, they really love you and they um, and they they don't love you because you don't have a leg uh, you have one leg they they love you because of your genuineness I, one of them said to me the other day that you're just one of the nicest kids in the world um, how have you been able to maintain being in their words, just a wonderful kid and whatever, with everything that, that's happened to you. Like, how do you keep the great perspective to be who I, you know, some people in your position might become angry. Some people might, um, I don't know, they might have tons of different emotions on it. And, and like you, you don't play any kind of victim card. You, um, you come in here with a smile every day and you're ready to go. How's that happen? I think it's just from your experiences. And, you know, I've learned that through the last seven years, I've been more lucky than unlucky, as crazy it may sound. So I think just I've just kept up. I've seen the positive impact that my positive attitude has. It started with my family, where you know they were actually the ones that were more like mentally traumatized than I was. I was kind of sitting there like awkward, like I'm not the one crying, but everyone else is for a long period of time. So just seeing like how my positive attitude, like my smile, how that can change their day, make them better, feel better about it. I think that's definitely I've slowly like engraved that into my personality. Just seeing how much just a simple like smile can change someone's day so i think that's definitely a main factor of it absolutely tommy you graduate from north end of a high school this coming uh june uh what does the future hold for you any ideas yet on college and you know where do you see yourself even 10 years from now yeah so for college i'm most likely going to go to umass amherst i just got into their big news family has a legacy thank you my family has a legacy there and that's kind of where i was wanted to go so most likely there i still haven't made the decision yet but uh, in the future, I think I definitely want to help people. You know, it's hard to know what you want to do when you're older. Sure. Because I'll be honest, I have no idea. But I definitely want to help people, if not my career, kind of do it on the side when I have free time. So I want to have that free time. Um, ideally, I want to publish a book by the time, probably by, gradu- by the time I graduate college. And will it be kind of like your story? Yeah. Just awesome. to get, like, some credibility for if I wanted to be a speaker. But I think definitely, if I was to say, one thing I definitely want to do is definitely help people whether it be start my own charity, you know, volunteer with it, do public service here or there. So definitely something along the lines yeah. of that. I mean, you would be a great public speaker on this stuff. And I know you've done a little bit of this with understanding our differences, but there's probably even a much more of a forum out there for you to do that. And I think you'd be great at it. And, you know, obviously I think you're at the point in your life right now that you could handle that really well too. So obviously we wish you the best of luck with that. Um, let me, let me ask you a little bit. Um, and again, I don't, have any specific kid in mind or whatever but you know if there was a kid in north andover that had something similar to you and you know maybe it's not even losing a leg maybe it's just some you know everything from coming down to cancer or just having a loss of some aspect what's your advice to kids from what you've learned and how you've battled back from obviously a very dark time what's your advice to kids i'd say you always got to look on the bright side you know, you always got to turn, find, it can be very tough, especially when you're in those first couple days, you know, all you want to do is feel sorry for yourself, but eventually you just, you got to find a way to turn your negatives into a positives, and some of it can sound unreasonable, how could I ever do that, but you always just got to look on the bright side, and there's always um, a light at the end of the tunnel, which I found, no matter how hard it is to believe, there's always something good to believe in, um, so I'd just say definitely try to keep a positive attitude, because, you know, something as bad as losing a leg or getting cancer it's out of your control you know it doesn't happen it doesn't happen to anyone specifically well it does but it's not it's not like selective it's just completely random so i think you just have to accept the fact that you know the world sometimes can't be a great place but it's what you make it it's not what happens to you it's what you make of it and that's probably the most important thing that i learned so 
again, I'd say just try to keep that positive attitude and just look on the bright side no matter how hard it can be. Really good advice. You've mentioned your mom and dad a lot, and obviously you love your parents a lot. What would you say to parents out there um, that hopefully they don't have to go through something like your parents did, did? But what would you say to parents coming from the perspective of a kid? What would you want to say to parents out there that may have to deal with some difficult things like this? Uh, I definitely say that you got to push them just because if it was up to me, uh, I probably would have just curled up into a ball and just accepted that I was unlucky, the world screwed me. But it was definitely like the encouragement of my parents that pushed me to where I am today. Because I know for a fact that as motivated as I seem, it's a lot of that comes from my parents. So definitely one of the biggest things is encourage them, you know, put them in situations where the only thing they can do is grow. Where for me was, you know, I didn't think I'd ever fit in on a team. How would I, you know, I'm the, how would I be, you know, the different kid on the team? But once you get put into that position, you learn how to grow from there. So I think just the, the best thing you could do as a parent would be, to encourage your kid you know put them in situations for them to learn I guess awesome one more little bit of advice what about kids your age um, and again it was probably awkward when this first happened to some of your closest friends what to say how to act things like that now that you've lived through this or whatever and you've seen how kids have react to you and, and I, I've said it a million, a million times the amount of kids that love you and, and support you is, is amazing to me. What would you say to those kids that may not know what to say to someone in a situation like that? You know, it's really a tough question because I feel their pain when they're put into an awkward situation. But one of the, I'll say this, one of the worst things you can do is overcompensate for someone. Where if so, the thing I hate the most is when someone comes up to me and they're like, oh my God, like you don't have to answer this question, but can I ask you this? Or, you know, it depends on the person, but you know, person like myself, like I don't, I don't want people opening doors for me, you know, picking stuff up for me. So you got to learn like the balance of like compensating for someone, but not overcompensating where you make it painfully awkward. And you don't want to make the person feel like what they're not. I don't want to say trying to hide, but like when I have, when I, for like after my accident, when I was just trying to live my life, like I didn't want to focus on my leg. I didn't, I just wanted to say I was going to a restaurant. I didn't want to focus on people, focus on just the fact that I one leg, I just want to go eat. So I think it's definitely finding a balance of compensating for them, but not being, you know, too much, like too much, like, oh my God, how can I help? How can I help? Or what can I do? What can I do? Or like, you don't have to answer this, but like, I just say things like that. Definitely. It's, it's a hard question to ask. Definitely. Yeah, it is. And I, I know early on when you first started coming here, I knew there were kids that didn't really know what to do or how to act. And, you know, it's not just kids, you know, as the guy running the youth center, I was concerned about how much do I overcompensate in terms of making sure Tommy's okay here at the youth center how much do I you know give him the space or whatever and and you you know us we've kind of taken attack with you with just working here like we're gonna assign you to something and if you don't think that that's something you can do I want you to let me know I don't want to be the person that says oh Tommy can't do this or Tommy can't I mean you, you'll know your limitations and you'll let us know Tommy you're in, an inspiration to many people including myself um, what you've done and what you've accomplished and how you've handled it is is amazing to me. And I think this is why I keep saying how much of a special young man you are. Um, we always give our guests the final word. Um, and I didn't really give you this as a talking point, but you know, what's your final word you want to say people to people about just your life? Um, I, yeah, I'd say the best lesson I learned is, you know, life's not what happens to you. It's what you make of it. You know, you can, and with that kind of attitude, you can change anything. You know, you take a situation as bad as mine, but you make it something positive. So I think just that kind of thinking would definitely be 
my final words is just all like I said you always want to look on the bright side and like how you live your life isn't defined by what happened to you it's what you make of it so I think that would definitely be it for me great final word and Tommy I'm sure the answer to this is yes but you know people that'll listen to this or whatever that may want you to talk to somebody you're open to maybe talking to people that maybe could use a little bit of motivation like you have yeah absolutely it's one of my favorite things to do yeah you're you're, you're great at it by the way all right Tommy I really appreciate your honesty and you know your forthcoming of obviously what's happened and how you've dealt with it i've watched it from afar and as i have said you're an inspiration to me also and uh we wish you here at the youth center we wish you continued success and keep keep being tommy cox so again i want to thank you for coming on the youth center podcast thank you for having me rick all right tommy we'll see you back at work and as we finish every podcast we always say too much passion is never enough passion <laughs>